Thank you. It's good to be together today at this celebration of Holy Communion. It's good to welcome um, people online who are watching as we gather physically. You're just as welcome and um, we welcome you warmly this morning. I just want to ask you some questions to get you thinking this morning. Whose authority do you live under? What rules do you feel compelled to obey? What culture do you consider yourself to be a part of? And finally, how do those in authority above us, the rules we live by and the culture we're a part of, affect how we live our lives? These are some really timely questions for all manner of reasons. But we've, we saw in the early stages of the pandemic, fortunately not so much in the latter um, stages of lockdown, people still gathering in their masses and people taking views that measures like uh, face masks were not required to ensure safety. Uh, and then all the research started coming out that showed that we really did need to take these precautions in order to keep people safe. But these questions about what authority do you live under and what rules do you feel compelled to obey are important to note. Uh, my last archdeacon, by which I don't mean um, the wonderful Peter Rauch, but my, my archdeacon in Cambridge, Alex Hughes, um, came to my last church um, to speak one Sunday morning. And he was reflecting on what it means to be in Christ, to abide in Christ. And at the time, he challenged and comforted us with the truth that there is nothing we can do that makes us more or less in Christ, because to be in Christ is realised not through any activity on our part, but through the grace and love of God. And as much as we might um, respond to people according to how much they've irritated us or been kind to us over the last week, one of the challenging things in our conception of God is that God is unchanging. So you can have been the most unfaithful disciple of Christ in the last week. You can have entirely forgotten um, to spend time with Christ in prayer. You might have neglected to allow his word, the Bible, to sink into your lives and affect your choices and decision makings. But none of that will influence the way in which God sees you. That's not something that we should ever take for granted or treat with contempt. But it is something we can build our lives on. God is not fickle, but faithful. However we live uh, will not affect how much God loves us. I was listening to a wonderful podcast um, between the warden of um, Cranmer Hall, where I'm studying uh, theology, and uh, Professor John Swinton, who started his career in the NHS as a mental health nurse and is now, um, well, he's a priest, but he's also the chair of the theology department at, I think, Aberdeen University. And John Swinton uh, was talking about how we often brand those suffering with mental health by their condition. So we say, oh, he's psychotic. 
But John Swinton um, drew out of this conversation that um, I don't look at Kevin and say he's, he's a cold because he happens to have a cold this weekend. We don't define people outside of mental health conditions by the illness that they're suffering from. And John Swinton developed this and said that for people who are in the depths of depression, to rejoice in God is probably something beyond the scope of what is, what is doable for them at that point in time. So if they're able to take their medications, that's their spiritual discipline. In faithfully taking their medications to keep them as stable as they can be, that's as much a spiritual discipline as praying or reading scripture or coming um, to church to be with a worshipping community. And he took it one step further and said, if people can't, because the darkness of their mind at any one point, commit to faithfully taking their medication, then just knowing somewhere deep within them that God is present in their suffering is all that God requires. And even if they can't be aware of God's presence in that darkness, God is still there. God does not define you or I by our faithfulness to him. He blesses our faithfulness, don't, don't hear me wrong. He loves it when we take decisions in line with his good and perfect will for our lives. And so that is to be encouraged. We should seek um, to allow our choices, our decision-making to be guided by the Holy Spirit. But God doesn't define us by our faithfulness or our faithlessness. And so what um, uh, Alec Hughes, the Archdeacon of Cambridge, still Archdeacon of Cambridge, uh, was saying is that we are in Christ because of our baptism, by which we became in Christ, members of his body, the church. And there is nothing that you or I can do to affect that reality, that truth, that we are found in Christ because of the grace of God. And so the task for Christians, once you accept that truth and allow it to fester in your soul, becomes to inhabit that reality evermore. So if I'm in Christ, if Christ is in me as the hope of glory, as the hope that through me God might reveal his purposes, then our task as Christians is to dwell, to linger, to abide, as John's gospel often says, in the presence of God. Our task is to take seriously his word. And we'll come to the reading from Luke in a moment. But um, John starts by telling the crowds, don't stand on title. You know, your genealogy is not what's important here. You can't describe yourself, forgive the crude language, as pucker, because you can say we've got Abraham as our father. Instead, it's who you are in Christ and what you do with that reality that counts. And so, friends, how we inhabit that foundational truth that we are in Christ it is, is our task as Christians. More and more, if people through our choices, through our kindness, through our forgiveness, when people irritate us, more and more, 
if, if, if we can do those things, Christ will naturally leak out of us and people will notice something distinctive and attractive in our lives. I want to go to um, Philippi with you. And we haven't had this reading today, but I, I just, when I was preparing this talk, my mind went there and it will become clear why. Philippi was a town of some significance because of its location. It's set on the Aegean coastline and it was well connected by roadways stretching through uh, from Rome through to Philippi and then into Asia. This meant that it was one of um, the uh, ancient world's major trade routes. And therefore, Philippi, on this major trade route, um, akin to being on a major motorway in our our land, um, Philippi was of some economic significance. But Philippi is also significant for its diversity. You see, following conquest, Philippi became a Roman colony. And when somewhere became a Roman colony, uh, Rome sent veteran soldiers and their families to live there and establish the Roman language, customs, rituals and norms of Roman societies and certainly Roman law. And when the Romans came to town, there was no fitting in to the culture or context they found that was going to become a Roman uh, settlement, a Roman place. They brought with them the whole Roman package. There was no adhering to context or deeply listening to the traditions and norms that people in that place particularly value. This was now a Roman place. And yet when Paul first arrived in Philippi, the three encounters he had, which we read about in um, Philippians demonstrated that Philippi was certainly a community with more than just Roman influence. Today, we're thinking about John the Baptist and the role he played in pointing people to Jesus. John starts by calling people a brood of vipers. Now, you might think John's not going to make any friends or win any fans by referring to people as a brood of vipers. I can only imagine, dear friends, the bishop's letters that would be sent in if I stood here and attempted to address you in such a way. So John is not making friends and uh, in fact, he's making enemies probably by calling the crowd a brood of vipers. But John is rather starkly making a point that we are all people affected by sin who need the grace of God to renew us and to restore us, to help us to inhabit that truth, that we are in Christ. So John is saying to the crowd who have come to be baptised by John, look, the more important thing than being baptised is that being baptised has an effect on uh, how you live your lives. So it's not just that we've ticked the box and we're now in Christ, it's how we inhabit being in Christ that matters. If we can tick the box and say yes through our baptism, through praying the prayer, we're a Christian, but then we keep on um, gossiping about individuals or we hold back on forgiving people when they irritate us or we don't act lovingly or charitably towards our neighbours, then what is there 
about the life of Christ in us, which is flowing out to people uh, who, who encounter us. And John continues to be very direct with people in the crowd by saying, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. Now, of course, in, in the Jewish world, lineage was very important. That's why if you're that unfortunate Bible reader who gets stuck with the genealogy at the start of Matthew's gospel, then you're, you're unfortunate indeed. But what uh, Matthew is doing in his gospel is charting the course um, from um, people like King David through to the long-promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, and showing the lineage of Jesus. And people would stand, as I've already said, on lineage. But what John is saying to people is, doesn't matter what your lineage is, what's significant is how you let Christ in you shape your lives. And so in Acts chapter 16, um, we see Paul's first encounter with the emerging church in Philippi. And as we look at Acts chapter 16, we continue to see something of the way in which the Holy Spirit works to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in places where it will be received. Paul is with Timothy, his student, And as they go from town to town, the Holy Spirit guides them as much where not to go as to where to go. And so we find Paul asleep in Acts 16 at night, having a vision of a man pleading with him to come to Macedonia and help the church there. So Paul and Timothy make their way to Philippi in Macedonia. And whilst there, Paul has three encounters. Firstly, we meet Lydia, who is described as a worshipper of God. Lydia receives Paul's message eagerly. Secondly, we meet a Greek woman who found herself being bought to tell her wealthier owners their fortunes. Paul orders the spirit out of her and she is freed, much to the annoyance of her owners who now have lost their fortune teller. And then finally, we meet a jailer in the prison that Paul and Silas find themselves in after setting free the fortune teller uh, girl. The jailer is a Roman citizen and has been ordered to and does securely imprison Paul and Silas. And yet following the prayer and witness of Paul and Silas, the door of the jail is opened and chains undone. Yet the jailer comes to faith because Paul and Silas stay put. So a Christian, a Greek, and a Roman, all in one city, healed and saved by the same message of Jesus Christ as brought to them through Paul and his companions. And Paul is now back in prison as we return to the start of Philippians, but he is looking back with fondness of his memories of ministering to Lydia, the Greek woman, and the jailer. And I find myself wondering about the changed and transformed lives of Lydia, the Greek fortune teller, and the Roman jailer after their encounters with Paul and through Paul, their encounters with Jesus Christ. I wonder how those three people Uh, who found themselves in Christ 
went on to inhabit that reality. And I spent my ministry um, enjoying, celebrating, rejoicing when I see people step out into new callings and new realisations of God's plan and purpose for their lives. Nothing excites me more in ministry than to see people inhabiting Jesus in new and fresh ways. And that's the invitation to us this Advent as we long for the coming of Christ um, incarnate at Christmas. How will we inhabit our life in Christ in ways that will transform our encounters with others and the world around us? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Set our hearts and our minds free to seek first your righteousness and allow the life of Christ within each one of us to shine forth into a world crying out for hope and love. May we be your hands, your feet, your eyes and your ears in this broken world. For we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.